Hey everyone, this is James Labrie, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey everybody, this is John Petrucci from Dream Theater, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey everybody, this is Kelly Hansen, and you are rocking out to Iron City Rocks. Episode 452 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 452, we are joined by Kelly Hansen, a foreigner. If you're a follower of the show, um, you know we've had many members of the band Foreigner, including founding members of the band Foreigner. Uh, But the first time we've had a chance to talk to Kelly, Uh, We're going to be talking about an initiative the band is doing to help raise money for their crew. Uh, So we'll get to that in a moment. We are also joined by uh, Peter Arulian, uh, who is the composer, lyricist, producer for a new project called Symphony North. Uh, You might recognize the name, uh, Peter's name. He is an author, uh, actually uh, penned a book based on a story that John Petrucci wrote uh, about The Astonishing uh, from Dream Theater. So uh, we'll talk to him about that as well as Symphony North, which is a uh, an amazing uh, body of music about, uh, it's called The Bell Ringer, and it is uh, kind of in the vein of the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. He was obviously very influenced by uh, O'Neill's uh, Trans-Siberian Orchestra, so we want to introduce you to Symphony North on the show. So, with further ado, we're going to get into the interview with Kelly Hansen. You're as cold as ice You're willing to sacrifice our love You never take advice Someday Oh, you leave the world behind Digging for gold It's away A fortune and fear 
gentlemen, my pleasure to welcome to Iron City Rocks. We have from Foreigner, Kelly Hansel on the line. How are you doing, Kelly? I'm doing great. Well, it's good to hear. In 2020, doing anything, I guess, is good. Doing great is fantastic. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's you, true. You guys have launched an initiative that that really caught my eye, and, and I know a lot of, you know, we assume you musicians, you know, they have income from, you know, Spotify, etc. But th- for your crew, you guys are doing some some efforts, which I thought was was really kind of unique. Um, going through, it looks like you're kind of cleaning out the vault, the warehouse with some merchandise. Do you want to talk a little bit about, you know, what you know, you guys? You know, you know them on a personal level, like what they're kind of going through with this. Yeah, you know, we uh, our crew is really in large part responsible for what people see and hear um, at our shows. They um, are very talented people, and many of them have been with us a long time. They're really, really good at their jobs, and it was, it's just been so hard for everybody in this country through this whole pandemic thing but for the entertainment business it, it's also hard there's there's no shows there's no large gatherings of any any uh, kind of a uh, meaning mm-hmm. and um so that means that our our crew is is out of work too and um we were we we wanted to try to come up with a way to to um help the help these guys out i mean um my guy uh, eddie fitzwater has been taking care of me on uh, the right side of the stage, that we call him the hardest working man in show business. Uh, he's, you know, uh, it, it, for people like Ed and 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 for, for all of our crew, it's um, it's a difficult uh, position to be in. And we thought maybe we could do something to kind of help them along a little bit. So what we did is we created these um, packages that, if people are are willing and able to um, go to our website, borneronline.com, they can uh, go to this page that says, you know, help our crew. And there's there's packages you can buy bundles of of stuff that uh, of, of CDs and T-shirts and tote bags and all that kind of stuff, and all the proceeds are going to go to our crew. Um, it's just a our way of sh- trying to show them, you know, that we really do care about them. Sure. Can you give? I think everyone sees. You know, we see you on stage. We know who's in the band. You know, ninety percent of the audience can probably name you all by name. But how many people behind, you know, the curtains and the wings do you guys take with you on a normal, let's say, you know, like a, a, even a smaller theater tour? How, you know, what kind of crew do you guys travel with as far as numbers? Right. Actually, there's there's a little bit more crew than there is band. Uh, you know, then there's also management. The whole mm-hmm. bundle, all told, is is probably just under like 30-ish people. But on on the road, we probably take uh, uh, between 10 and 15 crew with us. And uh, they, they they run the gamut from um, house sound and lights to mm-hmm. monitors to drum tech, guitar techs, keyboard techs. We have um, uh, tour tour assistants and tour managers and uh, truck drivers and all this kind of stuff to, to, that goes into to putting on a show. It, it, t- it takes them literally from very early early in the morning at most any venue uh, for them to start, and they start early because they have a lot of stuff to set up and then after the show they're the ones that are there till the very end um we the band we're we're usually gone and the crew has to stay and they have to pack everything up and put it back in the truck and so they work way earlier than us and way later than us and uh, it takes a village yeah i mean that's i think what people don't see i mean everybody sees you know maybe the guitar tech you know you'll see the guy in the wings you know restringing and things but you know when you start to think of your merchandise and you know the people that are just dealing with 
you know, the business slash BS of being on the road. I mean, there's a lot to that. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, unfortunately, there is. just imagine, just imagine the nuts and bolts and the minutia of trying to just art tour manager who, who, who basically just handles the band of arranging all of the flights and all the travel and all the cars and all the hotels mm-hmm. and you know and making sure everyone gets the place that, where they need to be and everyone gets fed and it's a it's a it's an enormous process yeah and that's that's a you know you've got to think probably a pretty thankless job i mean it, it i'm sure is never dull but you know a lot of headaches <laughs> you yeah know, you think a lot of uh, hot hot days out in the sun because we'll get to come, we'll get to go on stage at night when the sun goes down. Yeah, you know. But the crew is out there in August, working in the hot sun, getting everything set up and protecting the equipment, make sure it doesn't break down because of the heat. And um, they they are really tireless people doing um, really an unsung job. And and this is this is a way that we can kind of show them that we care. Fantastic. Uh, I have to ask, you know, uh, obviously being a singer, you are your instrument. You know, when you've got these huge kind of layoffs, I mean, this is kind of unprecedented, obviously. But yeah. how do you stay, you know, as a singer from, you know, your, to keep the vocal muscles and things like that from kind of right. decaying in this off time? I mean, it's kind of like an athlete without anything to do right now. Right. Well, at, at around, I don't know, May or June, it started to become very clear that we weren't going to be performing for the rest of 2020. Mm-hmm. And um, so I kind of took a break because I haven't had a vocal break of more than six weeks or so in, in more than 15 years. And uh, so I have been concerned about not only vocal muscles, but your diaphragm and what kind of shape you're in. And I, and I have to admit it, I took a break. I took some time off. I didn't sing for a really long time. But um, now, just after Thanksgiving, I'm back on the program to get in shape, to get vocally in shape. I have to vocalize every day. I have to. I have um, a little studio at my house, and I can run tracks of live shows that don't have my lead vocal in them, mm-hmm. uh, and um, that we, you know, we used for we we recorded uh, DVDs and things like that. And so it's multi-track, so they can just remove my voice, and they and I can get sent a stereo mix of exactly what we do on stage. And so that's a great warm-up, or to wear headphones and uh, go hiking, uh, you know, in, in the hills of uh, the. Santa Barbara Mountains over here where I live in California and and sing the songs and work your your lungs and your diaphragm and get your muscles in shape it's I'm I'm giving myself a good at least 4 months to to get, really get back where I want to be and I'm guarantee you that the moment I step off stage the first night I'm going to go oh wow I'm feeling muscles I didn't know I had <laughs> it's just the way it is do you do you worry I I've asked a couple of musicians about this mostly drummers but Show number one, whenever that is, that yeah. you're just going to go balls to the wall and, and kind of burn out on the first song because you're so charged to get back at it, or, or do you at this well, point in we, your career kind of have yourself so, paced? We we've been doing this so long. We're all we all been around the block, and we know mm-hmm. that's not a good thing to to attempt. Um, you have to be measured. You have to pace yourself. In other words, um, yeah. And I think you know as you grow. Older, a year or two older, you you have to be really conscious of taking care of yourself and making sure that you have the energy for those moments in the show that are really going to need your your severe full energy. And then there's a lot of the show where it's it's not as taxing, and you get to take a little break while you're doing what you're what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So it's a matter of measuring it out and pacing yourself properly. And and I think that a professional knows how to do that. 
How much I've heard your bandmates speak to this, but from you, how much of, of what you do is, is physical fitness, not necessarily vocal exercises, but but the hiking, the running, cardiovascular things. Well, um, the, the 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 show itself, when we're doing over a hundred and some shows a year, is 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 a heavy duty cardio workout for me. So the cardio is not what I have to work on mm-hmm. uh, during the touring year um, it's really more maintaining muscle strength and tone those are the things that become more and more as a focus especially as you get older as a person um, so but but on this off time it, that kind of flips itself in its head head and I and I do have to think about the cardio that's something I do yeah. have to concentrate on and build up and um, because I'm not running around on stage for 90 minutes or so a hundred plus nights a year so yeah. far this year yeah I mean to look at you I mean it's, it almost seems like you're kind of the Dick Clark of classic rock. I mean, it doesn't. <laughs> you, know, it, you blink of an eye. It's been what 15 years since you joined the band, and, and yeah. you don't look like you've aged a minute. I mean, I still see you in Hurricane when I when I see you on stage. Um, so whatever your secret is, whatever you're doing, take the time to make a DVD series for exercise or something because okay. well, you've just, got just, to. Just be thankful secret. you're not looking in the bathroom mirror in the morning when I. First look at myself at the beginning oh. of the day. <laughs> I think I think I trade you, man. I think I, I've seen you live, and the energy you put out is just phenomenal. Um, have, has the band? I, I know it's kind of a, you know a tough thing. I was just talking to Arnell of Journey earlier this week about this scene. Do you look at this time off of, to think about new music, or is it even make sense from a business standpoint for Foreigner? To pursue, you know, new stuff. You guys have done a great job of, of doing very creative things with your catalog, with the then and now, and you know, using the symphony. Right. But but you know, does it make sense to to write new tracks, or is there really a a market for that? Well, in speaking with my bandmates, I I know that it's it's more about the need for an artistic outlet. Um, that's yeah. really kind of what it's about because in this day and age, um, writing songs and putting out records is not a money-making proposition. Um, sure. You talked about Spotify mm. earlier and, and the streaming on online services, and those those things do not provide anything that right. would even come close to providing a living for a musician. For for uh, I would say 99.9 percent of musicians in the world. So for us, it, you know, we have to we have to be on the road touring, which we love to do. Um, but this off time has given us the opportunity to work on some new stuff. I was just working on a track uh, yesterday, mm-hmm. and um, and you know, Jeff Pilson is an extremely prolific um, writer and musician and and producer, and so he's doing he's been doing a lot of uh, records on this off time. Um, so you know, I I'm not. I don't need that, that, that much uh, artistic fulfillment from writing new tunes, although I, mm. I do get inspired and I do do it. But it all depends on that what's inside that that musician's mind. Yeah. But uh, it's it's not about the money, that's for sure. Yeah, I think probably in the time you and I took to, to do this interview, Jeff and maybe George Lynch put together an album that fast. Yeah, <laughs> right. It just seems to flow out of, of Jeff's mind, and that, that's a wonderful yeah. thing. Um, you yeah. know, he certainly keeps himself busy, but... Um, have you guys? Is it even worth trying to firm up plans for 2021, or is this? I know, I know you rescheduled some dates, I believe, for Europe. But is it? Yep. 
you know, is it from a business standpoint, where do you guys, and obviously you've worked with Live Nation in the past on tours, but I mean, is, is, are they starting to map out 2020, 2021, I should say? At we're this we're point? mapping out 2022. 2021 is already fully booked. Okay. Um, uh, and it's just a matter of whether that's going to become a moving target or not. Um, okay. And that 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 is really reliant on how quickly we can get a handle on the virus and and things can uh, like like large sports and music gatherings can start start up again. Yeah. I think of one thing but, I know. But everyone's optimistic. You know, we're we have shows booked. We have you know the the touring is is set to go, and and we just we want that to happen, and and we'll uh, we're taking. Every kind of measures that we can think of, um, we're going to be. I think we're probably going to be talking a little bit down the road about uh, the first show that we're going to be doing is is an outdoor show mm-hmm. uh, that's that's uh, been reimagined for uh, the new world of of COVID entertaining, where they have these kind of little platforms, little pods for each ticket holders group to sit in that okay. are socially distanced from each other and everything. So. There's a lot of people out there coming up with a lot of creative ideas to try to solve the problem of how people can still enjoy live music and and um, you know we want to be out there as soon as we absolutely possibly can. Do you think that's going to be hard for you to kind of to to stay in one place? But I mean by that I mean on stage. I know I've seen you in theaters and you you literally were climbing the balconies. You know right. is that. Is that going to be, you know, almost like when you see bands playing these large stadiums where there's a huge, you know, kind of gap or a rail for, you know, cameras in between the fans and the audience? Is that, or the band? Is that going to be hard for you, do you think, to kind of have the socially distant I know that we'll have experience? to make adjustments. Uh, we'll have to make adjustments, but that's that's just the, uh, the, the way it is. And mm-hmm. um, uh, if, if you don't make the adjustments, then the show's not going to happen. Sure. And so... I think uh, I think it's worth uh, the the thought that it takes to try to do something different that still works, yeah. and and that's what we're doing. Yeah, I, I know a lot of bands are going to miss dearly the the meet and greet. You know, not only from a connecting with the fans, but you know the financial aspects of that is you know helps a lot of you know maybe smaller bands down the road that extra income from that. Right. And unfortunately, that's going to be. Kind of thing, so it's going to be a new world, I guess. But um. yeah, it's going to be a new world, but it's, but it's going to be great because when we get back out and we get to go see concerts and see theater and go to sporting events, I think people will have a renewed appreciation for the for the uh, uh, opportunity and ability to do that. Uh, and yeah. because you don't realize how much you miss something till you can't do it. Yeah, I think that feeling the kick drum in, in your chest of, of being in a live event is something that we think we've all sorely, sorely missed. So, yeah, yeah. fingers crossed, we will be seeing you in the next 12 months uh, here in Pittsburgh, and uh, we'll get over to the Foreigner website and get some of the cool vintage T-shirts and things like that you guys are doing. And Kelly, I want to thank you so much for your time today. And we even have stuff from 2020 because um, you know we had we had stuff ready to go for this year, so we have merch from 2020. So there's a lot of good stuff out there. There's a lot of good choices. And keep tuned in and keep che- checking back in with Foreigner Online because we're keep, uh, we keep coming up with new things and new ideas uh, in this regard. Uh, and, and I want to yeah. say to all of my crew and to all of you guys who, who also, some of you know the crew, um, we love you guys and, um, and, and we hope that this helps. All right, a giant thank you to Kelly Hansen again uh, for joining us talking about Foreigner Online's 
uh, initiative to try to help raise money for the crew. So please check that out. If you've got a little money uh, left over from your holiday shopping or maybe that stimulus check, uh, you want to help out, they would deeply appreciate it. We're going to turn our attention now to a, a new musical venture for 2020. Uh, the band is called Symphony North. Uh, it is the result of the, the brains of Peter Arulian, uh, who has been a longtime author, I actually wrote a book based on the astonishing um, with Dream Theater. Uh, based on John Petrucci's story. So that was when I had first kind of captured his name. He's been a vocal coach uh, and a masterful singer in his own right. Uh, but he's put together Symphony North, which um, very much you can tell has been influenced by Paul O'Neill, the late Paul O'Neill of Trans-Siberian Orchestra fame. I uh, had a chance to meet Paul, got some encouraging words, and I think really kind of rolled with it and developed The Bell Ringer, which was uh, released earlier this year it's available as a double cd on their website um unfortunately we can't catch them live but they've done a really fantastic job I have to commend them in doing a lot on youtube uh, so you can check that out if you need something to put on while you're getting ready for the holiday uh, i would suggest a bell ringer from symphony north uh, something different to listen to this year so without further ado we're going to play you a little bit of their music get into the interview with peter arulian
Ladies and gentlemen, my pleasure to welcome to Iron City Rocks from Symphony North. We have Peter Arulian on the line. How are you doing, Peter? Good. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic. Uh, had an opportunity, kind of came across a well-placed, probably I think it was a Facebook ad, uh, for Symphony North, which caught my attention. Gave it a listen. Really caught my attention. Checked out your website. Saw your body of work with a lot of singers and the fact that you're pulling in uh, you know some of the creative nucleus of dream theater into this and was instantly neck deep in listening to this material um you started out as a fan of the tso obviously there's a picture in your bio there with paul o'neill the late paul o'neill can you talk a little bit about wh- how the seed was planted in you hello to do this Hello. Did I lose you? Hello. I think I lost you, man. Yeah, you lost me for a second there. Can you hear me okay now? Sorry, I. Yeah, I can. I, I haven't moved, and I've got a strong signal, so I don't know what happened. Yeah, it could be my Wi-Fi. It's not entirely possible. Let me start over with the introduction. Um, so we don't okay. so we don't have to piece it together. Ladies and gentlemen, my pleasure to welcome Iron City Rocks. We have uh, the brains behind Symphony North, Peter Arulian. How are you doing today, Peter? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Um, caught a advertisement on one of the social media platforms uh, for Symphony North. Uh, had not honestly heard of it, but um, immediately gave it a listen because it was kind of right in the area of things that catch my attention, frankly. Um, and then started reading about you and the backstory with you meeting with Paul O'Neill, um, your writing work, etc., and thought, you know, you are a guy I would love to get a chance to talk to. Can you talk specifically to the Bell Ringer, the, the debut album from Symphony North, where the inspiration, you know, where, how the seed got planted in you to, to create all this? Yeah, a long time ago, actually. I've known um, for a long, long time <clears throat> what things really move me. Um, and it's storytelling, it's music, music of all kinds, but I do have a penchant for, for rock and metal. Um, and as, as maudlin as it sounds, Christmas. Um, mm-hmm. And I love everything about the holiday, from the tinsel to the ideas of, of kindness and, and um, reverence. So um, I always thought... Creatively, I would try and pull those together in some kind of expression, and um, I had landed on, "Hey, I'll do a big, you know, sort of um, rock story where I'll try and tell a real, sort of poignant tale." Because there's so many Christmas stories that get told over the last 40 or 50 years that are either comedies or romances, and those are all fine. But I, I grew up on a lot of those Christmas stories that were more about people helping people when they needed help. Mm-hmm. And I thought, um, that's the kind of story I wanted to tell. So I decided on that, and then I went to college. I moved to the Pacific Northwest and went, started working at Microsoft, and the years just kind of slipped by me. And then um, down the line, I um, I happened to be uh, let go from Microsoft. And right in that same general time, um, I, was, I attended a TSO show. And it was one of the rare occasions when Paul was 
at the show because he um, he wasn't touring with them for many years. Sure. And um, backstage, I happened to see him, and I just caught him long enough to tell him how much I loved his music and um, you know uh, a little bit about how I'd wanted to do something. And he pulled me into his private green room, and he spent like forty minutes with me. Um, and I knew the stories of him as a, a generous man who gives money and so much. But he spent a lot of quality time with me and just encouraged me to do it. Um, you know, he said, the world needs more more great music, more great stories. I'll be disappointed if you don't uh, pursue your, you know. And part of me was thinking, well, um, this kind of thing kind of been done. And that's when he said, look, we're doing fine we need more great music and more great stories. So um, I went home energized, and then it, it was a few months later I got let go from Microsoft, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to take a little bit of time here and do this. So, yeah, that's how that was the spark. It, it started when I was, like, maybe 17, mm-hmm. and um, here we are. <laughs> was it something, when you were putting the story together, had you considered you know i mean you're a writer which obviously changes this but like you know as a musician would it have been maybe easier to say i want to set uh, dickens to to music or i want to you know do a metal version of a wonderful life or something like that or or was the story kind of inside you and, and it led to the music well like which came first story or music music or story it was it was story um i there's so many of the so-called rock operas or concept albums that, that we get. Um, they they feel to me they feel to me like um, the band will kind of write a collection of songs and then they'll sort of weave a narr- narrative back to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so and often the story frame is more like an amble, like a character kind of moving through the world, and they look left, they look right, and there's a song about the thing they see. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's not it's not based in storytelling architecture or good storytelling craft. I mean, the thing that usually moves people is to start to um, sympathize with a character that goes through you know challenging moments and who changes, and so you you're sort of rooting for that person to find some sort of catharsis or happiness. Mm-hmm. And so knowing all of this about story craft, um, I wanted to author my own story. And um, that's where I began. I made sure that I had a story arc that I thought was meaningful. And once I did that, then I was able to kind of start looking at um, how the music would fall out. And what that meant for me was I would use um, the language of classical Christmas Christmas carols when the movement and the music um, of them made sense for that part of the story. And that made me have to think about whether I, it was going to be instrumental or lyrical, because I didn't want the lyrics of a particular song to um, supplant the story I was trying to tell. Right. So that was like a puzzle. And then there were places where there uh, I wanted to write originals, and I knew I needed to because um, that's what the story was going to call for. So it was very sort of thoughtfully pulled together, um, and that's how I made my choices on which Christmas songs to use and where I needed to write new material. When you're approaching that new material, I mean, can you talk just a little bit about the challenge as a as a songwriter? Because I think people can kind of identify with that. People can kind of identify with storytelling. But to try to make the song 
fit the story. How challenging is that? You know, you, you've got, you know, you, you talked about not competing with the narrative, but, you know, when you've got kind of a limited scope of what the song needs to be about, but you also have to make a good song. It has to have a melody. It has to have lyrics that, you know, appeal to people. Is that excruciatingly painful? Because it sounds like it would be very, very challenging. Um, I, I will say it's a challenge, but um, how it, it progresses for me anyway is once I know um, the narrative motion that the song needs to try and carry, I have a really good sense for the, the, the feeling of the song. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in very simple terms, it could be that it needs to be something more sedate, more haunting, um, more lively, like those sort of classical um music attributes you can think of and so once that frame of mind's in place then when I start coming up with um, melodic themes and, and rhythmic ideas mm-hmm. they're already generating from the right place emotionally um, then there is really is kind of an instinctive part of this which is and I think most musicians have this where um, once they start to write they sort of trust the process to for the the, mu- the 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 right music, the right sound to come through. Um, I don't know about other songwriters, really. I never I never start from the premise that I think I'm going to write a great song or something that's memorable. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of write to satisfy um, what I feel about the song, and, and you know, with the idea I can satisfy myself. Um, and if I do that, that there'll probably be some other people who like it. Um, there's another lens that I look through too which is there are places where um, depending on who I know is going to be a part of you know uh, bringing the music to life what sort of musical gifts or strengths do they have Mm -hmm. so for instance I have a guitar player who's just really really amazingly talented so I picked some of the songs I picked for the album were songs that would really kind of push him as a guitar player and allow him to sort of show off his technical skill um, there are songs that I, I, because I knew what kind of a voice I either had or wanted for the song, I would write into um, a range or a tone uh, for the vocalist. And um, in many cases, I had vocalists already kind of attached to the project. In some places, I didn't yet, but I knew the kind of attitude I needed, which was kind of timber. And once I had that, then I would go and sort of look for those people. Um, so I, maybe that's helpful. I think there, there's a, it's really, for me anyway, part science and part art. There's a lot I know that helps kind of get there, and then there's a place where you kind of have to just jump off and uh, allow you know, the creative response to take place. Do you allow the, the, the scene to kind of dictate the voice? Which with, I think of you, know, you, you using uh, Tim Hockenberry, who I... Uh, known to many Pittsburghers, originally I believe was born in Pittsburgh and, and been part of the TSO, to my opinion may have sang the TSO's best song. And then you have a voice like James LeBray, very, very different. Um, Tim's got that kind of gutty Joe Cocker and, and James' voice, you know, that kind of anthemic, you know, rise above sort of voice. Uh, very different colors to paint with. Um, do you kind of make the vocal selections based on the you know where you are in the story yeah yeah that's absolutely a consideration so with tim there are two songs i had him sing that are much more dialed back 
um, it, it, in some ways they're actually a, a little bit, he doesn't have a lot of confidence in some of those low notes, and so it brings him to a place of um, um, fragility, you know, um, which is the, it, it's kind of the sound I was looking for. Um, and uh, and he does have that sort of roughened voice that speaks of, you know, weathered personality and experience, and that was right for those songs. Um, when I ha- had a song that's probably the most anthemic, at least in its conclusion, um, but also for the first two-thirds of it, is really needs to have a, a thoughtful, introspective kind of a sound. You know, there were only so many voices that I'm aware of that kind of can pull off both things really well. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm fortunate enough to know the guys in Dream Theater, and so I reached out to James because I know he can do that sort of lush, low introspective thing but I know that he can hit notes a lot of rock singers can't and they needed that diversity for this tune and um, uh, you know there are other vocalists who could have done it I don't know if anybody could have done it as well as James did but he's also somebody that I had the option of at least asking and I was lucky he said yes yeah yeah the, the, the result is phenomenal I, I often wonder because I mean what you're looking at you know from a musical standpoint you know, it's one thing to say I'm going to make a I'm going to make a metal album of you know kind of prog symphonic metal um, with some guests, but to then try to interweave it to a story and you've got animation which is phenomenal on your YouTube I've seen. Um, you know the scope of work here. How long did this project take to you know from the time you kind of dreamed up the story to the you sent it to be mastered, for example. How how long of a period of time was that? Um, it's kind of, it was kind of odd because, um, like I said, I had the, the kernel of this for a long time, but when I when I finally had the time and I guess gumption to to take a run at it, um, I wrote the first half of the record probably in about um, eight weeks. And I, I do all the writing myself. I, um, the only thing I didn't really create from scratch myself is the drums. Um, and I bang it out in Pro Tools, and then I go into a studio and I bring in musicians to record the audio. Mm-hmm. And um, so I did that at, um, and did the first 12 tunes. I sang all the male parts, all the male song, uh, vocal songs myself. And, um, and then it was getting pretty close on to Christmas. So kind of broke from that had a very sort of um, limited rather dismal release of it you know it was a few days before Christmas I thought I'd just kind of put it out there and see if it found a a home Um, then I I moved into writing the novel Um, I've written a full novel of the story that is now with my literary agent so I took several months off to do that Um, I I had to take some time to just generate some income for groceries and mortgages things like that and then um um, it was a, again probably late August I, I went into the writing of the second half and that was the point at which I, I went out to start finding replacement vocalists for myself on some of the male vocal songs I wrote the other half of the double CD we tracked that and then we released it and, and since we knew we were going to go more full blown release um, last year um you know, we we were able to do a little bit better sort of promotion of the record. It turns out, like it's that's a lot harder and um, mysterious a thing to me than I wish it were mm-hmm. um, to find an audience for music. And 
Um, but, but that aside, um, we had a little bit more runway and we did a little better job of trying to get it out there. So that we did that and it came out, the record came out officially with all of the voice, the voices, um, last year, I think it was late October. Um, at that point, I I had I had gotten representation by WME to do the booking of a limited tour, um, which we did, and um, uh, and then we came into this year, you know, with COVID, and it was like, well, we have the record, um, we wanted to build towards something, and so that's when we decided to, decided to do some video stuff to put out sure. there this year to try and continue to, yeah, that so I guess 2017 to. 2019 with some stops along the way yeah i mean it's did you have a background obviously in in your background you've you've written many novels but the type of orchestration involved with here is this something you've just learned along the way or did you sneak a degree at berkeley along the way (laughs) i wish i'd gone to berkeley no i am my i have this kind of like um Yin Yang thing, if that's the right metaphor. Uh, I I don't have much proficiency as an instrumentalist. I can play the keys a little bit, but if you saw me do that, you'd wonder how I wrote anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can hear it um, really, really distinctively in my head for any of the instruments I want. Drums is the one thing that I just um, don't seem to quite have the mental coordination for. Yeah, um, that's a good term for I can it. Yeah, I can't. I can't. Um, I can't tell a drummer what to do. I can tap on a table, maybe, but um, but the other stuff I can hear, and is because there are tools like Pro, uh, Pro Tools that allow me to um, take what's in my head and, and get it down into uh, a language that can then be um, used for what I quote unquote call real musicians who can read music and right. all that stuff. Um, then it can happen, and I am, you know, I don't use the only virtual instruments I used in the on the record. There were a few um, strings and bells, I think. Um, we had, we had real strings, but there was um, I I replaced almost everything with real audio. So uh, I wish I, at a younger age, been more diligent about some of the more classical education with um, with music. I think it would help, but um, I've just had to learn to find an interface between my what I can hear in my head and how I can get it out to the, the players. Do you have, like, in a project like this, I think about the the, the man hours, and you mentioned touring with it, um, getting the record. We talked to, to many, many musicians who struggle to do a five-piece band financially who have had platinum albums in the past. When a project of this scope, did you have investors or, or how did, you know, is this something you just kind of self-finance as you go and, and this is, you're pinned at all on this at this point? A little of both. Um, I mean, this is this is an all-the-chips-in type of project for me. Um, I have, I've already charted out three more holiday records um, from this very group I want to do and some other non-holiday records. But um, it's hard to imagine getting all of those written and all of the work behind them if, mm-hmm. you know, if I can't get this off the ground in some way. Um, when we did the tour, because we had WME, they, um, they were able to secure... Um, uh, there's a term for it. It's like a show advance. It's a guarantee. 
right. we had some guarantees at some of the venues and um so that helped now having said all that i still i still lost a little of my own money but it wasn't very much because we had that in place mm. and i think you know unless you're a band that has like an instant hit that's just going to fill the theaters um you're going to need a little bit of that at the outset as you grow and you know that's where we're at yeah i know i, I think back I can't even remember how many years ago a, a good friend of mine won tickets to see the Trans-Siberian Orchestra and he, he came into work and was telling us, and I'm like, who in the hell is that? Yeah, and why would you go? It was like, but you know, fast forward times to, to 2018, 2019, you know, those tickets were a premium and two sold out arena yeah. shows in, in a smaller market city like Pittsburgh. So, you know, these things do have the ability to take legs, you know, it's it's fantastic to see. Now, in, in the tour, um, do what kind of, like, theatrics, well, I don't want to say, like, as far as the um, presentation of the music, are you, it's obviously very expensive to take a lot of these people on the road. You probably can't get half of Dream Theater to come with you. Um, do you have, <laughs> you know, particular musicians who you work with on the tour that, you know, kind of, fit the roles of uh, LeBray or Jordan or whomever yeah it's a good point um, I, you know I wish I could convince those guys to come with me but of course they have the priorities there some of the some of the I would say the large larger percentage of the people on the record and the videos you've seen on YouTube do come on the road with us um, but you know for instance there's a song that Jordan plays um, on the road uh, gentleman by the name of Aaron Baspu who is um, actually one of Jordan's protégés who plays with everything the whole set he plays the song that Jordan sort of really sort of I guess sonically helped define on the record um, the James Labrie song I sing that live because um, I can sing it um, I won't say that I can sing it as well as he, he can he's such a distinctive voice but um, I did all the training and stuff, so I can hit all the notes, and uh, I know how the song needs to be interpreted. Sure. So it's a little bit of a cut down, um, you know, rather than four vocal male vocalists, it's usually two. Um, if we become successful, such that we could carry everybody or carry uh, the same number of vocalists anyway, I probably would. Um, but I've been lucky that um, the people who have heard the music and um, helped us record and been on the road with us really believe in the project and so um where they can they usually you know want to participate in in the live performances yeah and that's fantastic i mean the um when you did tour was it um did you do more regional touring or is it something you were able to you know kind of go coast to coast with no, it was, um, you know, the very, very first year when I had only written, I had only really released uh, 12 songs. Um, the we did, a, we did a little show, and we sold it out. And so we thought, oh, maybe there's something here. And I actually did, for that, it was kind of a special engagement. I, I kind of ponied up and pulled everybody here to the Pacific Northwest for that show. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, uh, sort of the second year, when we had the full album, actually released um we it was a regional tour and you know back to your question about theatrics you know we don't have 
the budget and all of that for pyro and lasers. Um, we had a nice light um, package for the sure. show last year, uh, which really helped. Um, but one of the things that I think is distinctive about our show, not just relative to TSO, but maybe maybe a, a lot of rock operas or you know story or narrative driven rock shows is um, what I told you before, which is I started the whole thing and not just with a story idea, but with like a really, really well charted story arc grounded in storytelling principles. Mm-hmm. And so we do our best to communicate that. I mean, short of, you know, being an actual musical with um, props and stage sets, we, you know, we do, we, we try really hard to have the story be one of the defining elements of the show. And I think we're succeeding. We we have folks coming out of the shows. We we do telling us how moved they are by the story, um, and they they're thrilled by the music, um, and we get that too. But it's gratifying that at least some of the feedback we're getting is that the story is sort of you know landing and and touching people. Because uh, sure. I you know that that because I'm a storyteller and that's kind of half of my creative personality, that matters to me. So. Do you look at models? I, I think back in, in talking to you reminds me very much to uh, another guest we had a couple of years ago, Rob Evans of uh, a show called Rocktopia, who were kind of in a, yeah. a similar similar stage, and they did something that I, I think a couple artists, including the Trans Siberian Orchestra, I think have done well in kind of partnering with PBS. You know, in order to get, you know, they literally did a one-off show. And, you know, I might have been a lot of complimentary tickets, but, you know, kind of packed, did a stunning, you know, went all in on, on making that show look spectacular, got it on film and then got it on PBS and then were able to kind of, you know, use, you know, the relationship with public broadcasting to get people interested in the show. Is that something you guys have looked at that model? I know Joe Bonamassa has done that and, you know, and several other artists yeah, it's interesting you say that. Um, we have talked about that, and we have kind of a plan for trying to arrive at that for this next year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, part of the part of this show, a couple of the shows you've mentioned there that we have not had is sort of the the LED back screens against which you yeah. can project imagery, and right. um, that's not new to rock and roll or metal. You know, they there's a lot of that, um, and in the, some of the shows you've mentioned, there's um, there's certainly a taste of narrative. There's imagery that that maps right. to lyrics and characters a little bit. But I think what we will hope to do when we pull like a polished production together that we can film and hopefully put on stage two um, is that we'll we'll work. You know, I think we'll spend a lot of energy in having um, the, the narrative more sort of fully expressed mm-hmm. as part of that, uh, you know, that projection onto the screens. Um, yeah. We did, I think you mentioned, you may have seen some of the illustrations. We did that this year, whether it'll be the same the same art or the same narrative approach, I don't know. But what we're seeing even over, you know, the Internet right now is that as people are starting to have that narrative come to life, visually 
it's it's deepening the relationship of you know the music so yeah. that's <clears throat> that'll be an element that we'll we'll dial up um to try and you know hopefully further distinguish ourselves yeah i think you know the the, the fact that you've got you know essentially a, a graphic novel kind of going on to the music i think really helps you know, sometimes I, I will freely admit I listened to Mind Crime many, 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 many times before I gave a shit about what the story was. I was like, cool, Eyes of a Stranger <laughs> is the greatest song ever, you know, and there's like 11 other cool songs on the way to it. There's a couple little short ones I don't really care about, but to me it wasn't about that because I never really bothered to listen to the story. The videos kind of tied it together, but even the videos didn't come out in the order the, you know the album did never you know necessarily got what Tommy was about but I think the thing that yours helps is it gives you the visual representation I don't want to say to dumb it down but it brings it to my level where you're not you're having to be glued to every lyric of every song to get the story and that's um, yeah. you know I think it would make a yeah. really amazing show well I sure hope so um, and I, I understand exactly what you mean. And I, you know, I don't want to be misunderstood. I, I love mind crime. Um, yeah. I, I love it when any band wants to extend itself to to try and really put story inside a collection of tunes. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I think oftentimes um, the effort of mirror. Like I, I worked with John Petrucci um, from Dream Theater when they wanted to more fully realize the storyline for The Astonishing, which was a big effort. And those mm-hmm. guys actually went as far as to write themes for characters so that it was almost like musical theater-level sort of integration of music and story. Um, so I know how much energy they spent on it. Um, and, I saw, and I saw their live show, which was amazing, where they had imagery. But I've, um, And I'm sure it, it exists out there. But the uh, a concert experience where the um the imagery really is you know, isn't just like a reflection of the song but really helps to kind of um land the narrative and carry it i haven't really yeah. seen that much and maybe that won't be successful in front of audiences i don't know um it could be that um for the person that just wants to see the shredding guitar solo they don't need to look at the led they can just look at the guitar player but I, I want to where I want to try and land at least with this record and any records in this vein that I write is that the that the concert experience is isn't just hey there's a cool visual that maybe thematically makes sense but it's part of going to the, the show is to go on this journey um, yeah. and yeah so you know you mentioned some good ones and I think they're they all accomplish something. Um, and I grew up on mind crime. You know, Jeff Tate, the mm. vocal. I moved to the Pacific Northwest to train with his vocal trainer. That's how much I love Jeff Tate. Mm. But um, yeah, what we want to do is maybe just go our own way with it, a little fuller with the story. Yeah, I think that's that's really from a from a purely business standpoint, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Not you don't want to go out and necessarily bring the truckload of pyro, lasers, fire, snow, and say, we're the next TSO, you know, we're just going to start out smaller and choke out their audience. You know, you're, you're differentiating what it is you're bringing to an audience, um, you know, which I think 
is smart because you're not going to out bombastic the TSO. You know, I don't think Kiss can out you know, no. out outdo what the TSO bring on the road. You know, so it would be no that, foolish, I think, to try to do that. But um, you yeah, know, you're going I mean, in a they're so spectacular, uh, and they, I know that they put energy in, in every year to take it in another visual experiential direction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's awesome. I, I go to those shows. And you're right. So you you know, and I you have to admit, like, if you're going to write a Christmas rock record, the comparisons are going to come. Like, oh sure. well, they're like this. I remember, you know, this will show my age a little bit, but I remember when um, when Queen Jack came out as a vocalist. Some of the like, when I would ask, well, what do they sound like? I would get the, well, they're kind of like Iron Maiden, and I said, well, how is that? Well, they've got a really powerful, clear singer who can. Well, you and I know that those two bands aren't really very much the same. And then the same exact thing I remember happened when Dream Theater came out. It's like, oh, well, they're kind of like Queensryche. Yeah, and you're exactly right there. High vocals. And then I listened to it. Like, no, they're not like Queensryche. So um, that's kind of my story on when, when you try and draw an analogy. Um, yeah. And so for us, it's like, yeah, there's it's Christmas rock. Um, and, uh, and there's a, a touch of theater in it in terms of some of the musical stylings. But, um, you know, if you really listen, I think anyway, and we've heard this from fans, when you start really listening more to our record, it's got a lot of distinctions from TSO. And um, particularly the things we've been talking about, I think are part of how we hope to be different. Um, you know, not, not than just, just TSO, but from a lot of rock bands that, that right. seek to kind of make story a part of their thing. Yeah, well, I think you've got a great template, a fantastic record, um, and I, I love to hear that there's more to come, you know, that you've got ideas in, in your head, so I uh, want to invite everyone to check out symphonynorth.com, pick up the CD, um, and I think we all got our fingers crossed that in 2021, you guys are, you know, putting gear in trucks and, and taking this show on the road, um, because I think it you know, I think that immersive concert experience, this just would lend itself beautifully to. Um, even without, you know, LEDs, to hear this music performed in, in a live setting. You know, the, the uh, commendable, the amount of work you put into the YouTube videos. Um, but, you know, it just, I think it's it makes you hungry to, you know, to go through the turnstile and get in a seat and see this live. So, um I want to thank you so much for your time today going through this stuff. Um, the the book you mentioned from Dream Theater, is that still available um, for those who might want to get that? I know a lot of people love Dream Theater and would probably love to, to take a look at that as well. Can they get that still? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, I, I, ha- I have a couple of the limited editions for the, the Dream Theater collectors that you can get on my website, but the book, a hardcover, ebook, um, paperback, those are all available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all those places. Okay. So, and um, then you have it, uh, several other books that you've written as well. Yeah, I um, I've got a, uh, an ongoing sort of epic fantasy series from uh, Tor Books. Um, I've written a number of other. Um, up on all the usual places 
Um, and the thing I'm working on now, kind of in parallel with the music stuff, is a collaboration on a new fantasy series with a guy by the name of Brandon Sanderson. He's a, okay. he's a big name in fantasy writing circles uh, and reading circles. So, you know, these are how I try and pay bills to, to bring the dream to life. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate your efforts, and I want to thank you so much for your time this morning, and I hope you have a great Christmas. Um, it's going to be a different one this year, I think, for everybody, but, um, you know, I think a lot of people yeah. are probably going to really, really appreciate 2020 this Christmas. Um, you know, it's kind of an end cap to what has been a crazy year. So, Peter, I want to thank you so much. Yeah, John, thank you. I, I appreciate you having me on to, to talk about this stuff. A big thank you to Peter Arulian, uh, Symphony North. You can check out their website. Uh, really fantastic stuff. Uh, the website is symphonynorth.com. Uh, with any luck, we'll have them on the road in 2021 and make a holiday tradition out of that. It'd be nice to have um, some new stuff to, to listen to this time of year. I think everybody has kind of their go-to Christmas music, go-to holiday music. I know for me, it's Vince Guaraldi and Elvis. Um, listen to the TSO uh, in the in the car because I think it sounds great really, really live. But uh, Symphony North, uh, something new uh, to scratch that musical itch. You always want to hear different things, so it's great to hear this as well. Also, a big thank you to Kelly Hansen again, Foreigner Online. Uh, check that out, see how you can help uh, the crew until all these guys get back on the road in 2021. This, as I had said two episodes ago, this one will be the last episode of 2020. I uh, appreciate your support. Uh, it's been a crazy year. Uh, we thankfully have been uh, afforded the opportunity to talk to many great musicians throughout 2020. Um, I was concerned when this first sort of broke that we were going to have to go kind of dark because maybe musicians who you know love to talk to us when they're on the road may not be available, but we've been blessed to have a lot of folks take the time with new album releases, charitable endeavors, and what have you. So thank you. Check us out at ironcityrocks.com, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, you name it. We are forward slash ironcityrocks. Also, ironcityrocks at gmail.com. I want to thank you so much for listening. Have a happy new year, and we will see you on the other side in 2021.